Past, present, future, live. In-depth conversations and exclusive live performances featuring some of the most dynamic artists from the world of contemporary music. From Osiris Media, this is Past, Present, Future Live. I'm your host, RJB. This week, we're bringing you an interview with Terry Bracken of Bronte Fall. They have a new album, Finishing School, coming out on August 21st. Terry started off as a classically trained violinist, but when she went to Berkeley, her world opened up in a way that changed the course of her life. She formed the group Bronte Fall in 2015, and they put out their first album in 2017, Silhouette Dances. She since moved to Nashville, and the new album, Finishing School, focuses heavily on themes of female empowerment, independence, and strength. Terry and I talk about her experiences in the music industry and how that led her to a different outlook on her own songwriting. After the interview, you'll hear Terry perform Live in the Good, Grand Marnier, and Six Years, all original songs. You can watch this performance and all performances from this show at youtube.com slash osirismedia. And you can find a link to a Spotify playlist from this episode in the show notes. So before we get into it, I want to talk about two sponsors. This past week, I've been spending a lot of time listening to Jerry Garcia, as it was his birthday and the anniversary of his death within the last week. I subscribe to Nugs.net, and I can listen to tons of Jerry on the app. I've also used Nugs.net to explore the past several years of Humphreys McGee and to get into some great Bruce Springsteen shows. They have official recordings of over 15,000 shows and a growing collection of over 100 full concert videos on demand. Our listeners can get a free 30-day subscription by visiting nugs.net slash ppfl. And one listener who signs up for the trial will get a free annual subscription. Go to nugs.net slash ppfl and get your 30-day trial now. Our other sponsor is Sunset Lake CBD. We love their CBD products. I especially love their coffee, their gummies, and their tinctures. Their hemp is 100% pesticide-free and they only use organic fertilizers. It's really high-quality stuff. I highly recommend it. You can get yourself some CBD products today by going to sunsetlakecbd.com and enter the promo code PPFL15 for 15% off your order. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. All right, now we're going to get into the interview with Terry Bracken of Bronte Fall. Please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. All right, I'm here with Terry Bracken of Bronte Fall. Hi, Terry. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no, I'm so excited. It's a big time, I know, for you. Your second album, Finishing School, comes out on August 21st, um, about a week after people will hear this episode. Uh, it's really good, and I'm really interested in, in going into it. But first, I have to start all the way back and ask you about your first musical memory. I would say I remember starting piano lessons. I remember my mom telling me that I was starting piano lessons and I was very excited. And I remember holding her hand and walking in to the room. It was at the local community center. I just remember walking into that room, I guess. that's. <laughs> How old were you? I was six. And this is in Chicago? This is in a suburb of Chicago, Glencoe, Illinois. Okay. And were your parents musical? Did they want you to get into music or was piano like a thing that you just had to do as a kid? It's funny because you look back and I'm like, oh, how did I how did I start this? And my mom's like, you just kept asking. Same with piano and violin and I guess singing because um, I don't remember how I started. But my parents have limited knowledge. They took piano lessons growing up, but it's not a thing where like they were like, you have to take piano lessons when you turn this age. I was just like begging them to. I know that my best friend, my neighbor, was playing piano and that I wanted to and kept asking my mom, apparently. So and my dad is sings. He has been super musical my whole life. And he rewrites lyrics to songs and performs them at parties like he'll take a Van Morrison song or a Billy Joel song. And uh -huh. and he's always performing. And he has like a very awesome, great, booming voice. I did grow up performing was just second nature. Like it's just something you did. That's cool. And as a kid, were you like one of these kids who had like a singular focus on music or were you into all kinds of things? I was into all kinds of things. That's such a good question. Yeah, I because I didn't have musician parents like they never had to tell me to practice. They weren't like, OK, now it's time to practice piano. Like I would just my mom told me that before school, 
while I was waiting for my ride to school, I would be practicing in my mittens and my backpack on. And like, I remember not, I just couldn't wait to get home to like learn that new song. It's interesting. That's like so many of the people I talked to were just drawn to music, you know, in a way that other people I think are forced to take lessons, you know, by their parents or whatever. And then they just kind of drop it as they grow up. But it's interesting how some people are just like drawn to the idea of making music. It is funny because some people are like, oh, you were just musical. It's like, no, I, I played AYSO soccer too, and softball and basketball. I, you know, I played all the sports, but was super drawn to music. Yeah. And so you, you started with piano and then you picked up violin as well and, and other instruments. Was that all in your childhood? It was all in my childhood, which was a very interesting experience. I hadn't started a new instrument since I was 11 years old. And so I picked up the guitar at 27, 28, like a few years ago. And it was so interesting being a beginner again and like not being able to play a song on the guitar. It was quite the experience, but um, it was humbling, right? And I, yeah. I took my violin and my piano and my singing for granted because it was crazy to be a beginner again in, on an instrument. I think we're going to hear you play guitar at the end here. So I'm excited to see how that has evolved because that's not very long ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, what about the music that was playing around your house? Was there always music playing? What kind of music was playing? I feel like my parents are classic rock people. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of Fleetwood Mac and Billy Joel and Madonna, actually. <laughs> um, Madonna and Whitney Houston, Van Morrison, classic rock, and then those big like 80s pop singers, diva singers that I grew up on. I remember like singing along to Bodyguard in the kitchen after my mom was cleaning up after dinner. My mom's cleaning up. <laughs> that still happens at our house sometimes late at night. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lifelong thing. Um, do you remember like an album or an artist that really spoke to you? That was either, you know, what your parents were listening to or something you discovered on your own? This is going to be slightly embarrassing. Yes. Um, so I grew up in Chicago and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat had come out. And I remember seeing that in second grade and just like my heart. And this is how I feel to this day when I see really good music and I just want to be doing it. Like my heart hurt. I remember because I wanted mm. it so badly. I wanted to be doing that so badly. I know that's musical theater and it was Donny Osmond. And I went on like okay. a super Donny Osmond kick, like bought the best of Donny Osmond. Um, but I feel like it was sort of musical theater first that I really got that feeling where I, I fell in love. That's so interesting. The last episode of this show was with Dwayne Betts and Devin Allman of the Allman Betts Band. And Devin Allman was talking about that exact experience, about like really loving theater. I mean, it, almost all the guests on this show have sort of come through theater. I don't know, maybe that's normal, but is it the, like the performance aspect, do you think? What I think it is, is it's very approachable for children. Like as children... Mm. When you tell your parents you like music, they're going to take you to a, a musical or they're going to take you, I mean, maybe to an orchestra or it's sort of like what's available in the suburbs in middle America when you tell your parents you like music <laughs> because because mm -hmm. I feel like I didn't really, I mean, in high school, I played the violin and then I was like, I want to be Boyd Tinsley and Dave Matthews Band. And then I saw the Beatles anthology my freshman year of college it's like a nine disc DVD set. And mm -hmm. I remember I had another moment where I was 19, 18, 19, and I spent all the spring break watching that DVD set. And all my friends are like thinking about what they're going to do, and what their major is going to be. And I was like, I want to be Paul McCartney. I just that's what I need <laughs> to do. I need to be the Beatles. And and that was the same feeling where like my heart hurt, like it hurt so much. I just needed to be doing it. And I do think that a lot of us grow up on musical theater because that's what's available, like in the mm. schools and the suburbs. <laughs> that makes sense. I hadn't thought about that before, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, you go and you see a performance with music and then you're like, oh, then it kind of clicks like, oh, I could I could do that. Had the same conversation with Alexandra Savior on this show. Same exact thing. She's, I think she saw Lion King in New York <laughs> and got like, I need to do that. It seems to be a common theme, but that makes a lot of sense. It could be common for kids. Yeah. 
So you went to Berkeley. Did you know before you went to Berkeley that you wanted to pursue music as a career? It's interesting. I also went to Lehigh before Berkeley, and I felt like I didn't really fit in at Lehigh. And the one avenue where I felt at home and like I belonged was when I joined a rock band with a bunch of frat guys um, Mm. as their lead singer and as their violinist. And I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew... I mean, I knew I was singing, like, Killing Me Softly, and no doubt, like, it was easy to imitate, you know, those <laughs> rock bands um, from yeah. the 90s, early 2000s. But I didn't know what I was doing on violin. I knew that I didn't want to do classical. I wanted to sort of b-boy Tinsley, and that was where I really started to try. And we had a residency at the Fun House in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I felt like I could die happy after nights there. And I was like, this is what I need to do with my life. And and so that's like pretty naive and a pretty big statement, you know, like when you're, I guess, 20 and you're like, I need to be in a rock band for the rest of my life. And, you know, telling my parents that that was not they were like, what? Like, no, you graduated <laughs> college. You need to go into the business world. You need to stay in Chicago. Like music is a hobby. And they were always very supportive growing up. But as soon as I graduated and was like, oh, I want to do this. They were like, whoa, wait, hold on. Like that was just like supposed to be extracurricular. And um It really was the help of my violin teacher. My violin teacher in Bethlehem put me in touch with a jazz violinist in Philly, and I was driving to Philly every week, junior and senior year, to sort of start to improvise on violin. And she's the one who was like, you've got to do this. Like, you've got to move. I had checked out Berkeley, and she's like, I see this in you. You've you've got to pursue this because it's like, my parents are mad at me and they're not going to want me to do this. And what if they don't talk to me? And she's like, my mom didn't talk to me for six months when I moved to New York. And <laughs> she's like, you got to do this. And so my mom said, if I have a job, because I had a teacher lined up already, a violin teacher lined up in Boston. She's like, okay, if you can get a job and then you're like, you're pursuing this on the side, then that's fine. And so I got a job. I got an internship working for like a Latin band and then working at a retail store. And then I practiced violin at night. And then I got into Berkeley because I knew I couldn't like give up music. Like I wanted it to be part of my life still. And before I got to Berkeley, I was like, oh, I'll find like music business at Berkeley. Like I'll find, no, I can't be a performer for the rest of my life. Like that's not okay. And then then it was game over as soon as I got to Berkeley because you're with all these like-minded people and people who take it seriously and all these teachers who say, yeah, you can do this as a profession and everybody around me. And it was like, game over parents. Like, this is what I'm doing. And, and Berkeley is where it all, like when I was 22, 23 is like where it all started to click. Like I hadn't been playing piano much. I sort of had to stop playing piano seriously when I started violin. So it was, at Berkeley where I picked up piano again and I'd always loved my English classes. I'd always journaled. I always wanted to write songs and it was there that like, I just, it all started to click for me. And it seems like you had that pull and you just decided to give into it eventually, which is hard. I think, yeah, when you have the pressure of, you know, pursuing a quote unquote real career, which a lot of people are forced into, but it's awesome when you follow your passion because it's obviously more fulfilling. Totally. It's it's funny because every job is hard and this job has its hardships <laughs> for sure, especially right now, but it's fulfilling and it's like my truth. I know for a fact this is what I'm meant to do in life. And what what do your parents think now? They are way more accepting now. And I think it gets to a point where they realize I'm not giving up and they're like, oh, we, we might as well support her. And they are, they are super supportive, but there was definitely that time where I was pushing to really pursue this. And, you know, they had never seen it before, you know, I mean, they were talking about Madonna and Whitney Houston and like, I mean, those people are so far away from Glencoe, Illinois. And (laughs) so I, I felt like it was partially my duty to show them this is possible and how it's possible. And so, um, so yes, they're very supportive now. The impression that I think a lot of people have of Berkeley is that you go there and it's like a bunch of musical geniuses just like writing songs and playing instruments, you know, in different corners of the room or whatever. What What is it actually like to go there? What are some of your memories? Well, 
it is interesting. There is a lot of practicing. There is like that pressure to like be in a practice room and be practicing, practicing, which made me a better musician. But I feel like I went there as an underdog because I got in playing like a handle sonata and you get there and there's like girls who are 16 years old and they were completely homeschooled and all they did was play bluegrass fiddle since the age of two. And so like I show up and I can't even like I, I can read music, but I can't hear something and play it back like they can or and I can't improvise like they can. And so it's pretty intimidating, but I definitely feel like I was this underdog where I didn't write a song before I got to Berkeley. Like I was not a genius going in there and I'm not a genius now, but I think it's empowering that you can like learn anything you set your mind to because I, I hadn't written a song and I took um, like intro to songwriting and I my teacher teachers are so helpful. <laughs> but my teacher pulled me aside and she's like, you should really pursue this, even though like you're at this level now, like just keep going. And and she's actually the one who was like, you should go down to Nashville. And I moved there for a summer when I was 24. But yeah, it is not. Not everyone's a genius going in. I mean, they parade the geniuses around, like the <laughs> the really amazing people. And so you think everyone is a genius, <laughs> but we're all just underdogs trying to follow what we love, honestly. Yeah. Wow. That, that's an interesting way to put it. I want to ask one more question about Berkeley because I've talked to a lot of artists who went there. It seems like there are different kinds of teachers. Like you have your people who just help you with the actual mechanics of playing. You have your like theoretical people like did you have teachers that touched on various aspects of music totally and I was in like two schools I was in the fiddle program and like <laughs> again I was with some child prodigies who could like play me under the table these bluegrass solos and there was this amazing teacher there Daryl Anger and I mean he's just an amazing player and has incredible chops and I would say with him it was like all technique all technical like because I <laughs> I really did at the time I really wanted to you know be able to play people under the table with whatever whatever jazz swing bluegrass solo and so yeah with those teachers it was like technical and just like loving the pure music but with other teachers in the songwriting department, you do get to talking about life and like what your purpose in life is and what are you trying to say with your art and songwriting. It's funny because we're all like philosophers at heart. Um, I didn't take too many business courses, <laughs> which <laughs> I probably should have. But I feel like there was like a lot of philosophizing in the songwriting classes. I can't imagine a songwriting class because it does seem so personal, but I guess it's like creative writing or anything else. You teach people techniques and how to understand how to write. That seems intimidating. Did you start writing while you were there? I probably started because I took one year to like practice and I lived with a girl I met on Craigslist who will literally be one of my bridesmaids if and when I ever get married. Um, but yeah, I met a girl on Craigslist, moved in together, and I had a piano under my bed, and I would take it out at night. And that's when I started writing. It was like in my little room with my little keyboard. So it was like the year before I got to Berkeley. And I was still super intimidated by the classes because there were some people who were writing full songs. And I was writing like little ditties here and there of courses and verses. and But Berkeley helped me like really bring it all together. Did you go to Nashville straight from Berkeley or what happened when you finished there? I said I would move to Chicago for a few months to work on my first demo EP. And I also was going to move to New York. That was like always my plan. My whole entire life was to live in Manhattan. And um, I even wrote New York on my boxes because I was going to go move in with my parents for a few months and then move to New York. But I moved home living with my parents and my best friend from Berkeley had also moved to Chicago and we decided to start a band and we started Bronte Fall. So, and I, I didn't anticipate to get so invested in Bronte Fall, but I was working at a music venue, the hideout under the booker. And I told him I started a band with my friend and he's like, Oh, well, do you want to play here? And the hideout's like a a very good music venue. And I was like, yeah, sure. He's like, oh, 
why don't you play here May 30th? And so we had like two months. I didn't, we didn't even have a name. Like we had a few songs. We had, we didn't have a name. So Molly and I, we met at a cafe in March, like maybe early April. Cause my, the booker was like, Hey, I need like press photos and I need your band name and a bio. And like, we were like, oh, shit, we need to get a name. And so I, like, had written down random names. And the Bronte sisters, I loved their story. I learned about them in my undergrad. I took a gothic, an English gothic literature course. Um, it's like this dark literature from the 1850s England. And so I learned about the Bronte sisters and that they were three sisters who were told they couldn't be authors because they were female. And so they changed their names on their books to male names. And then they got their books published. And they're some of the most famous books today. And the books are like dark and sexy and honest. Like they're just like kind of like dark and weird. Yeah. I thought that was cool. It wasn't like your average rom-com from the 1850s. We decided on Bronte Fall. And there's a poem by Emily Bronte about the fall. And it's all about embracing the winter and the fall, the darker seasons of our lives and finding beauty in the darkness and pain. And we also loved that. So Bronte Fall sort of like took on its own persona and we put on our first show and then we started working on an album. And then I was like, well, I can't leave now. I can't like move to New York now when I started this project. So I stayed for two years and then people kept telling me about Nashville and songwriting and and how it was not just country anymore. And and I ended up going down to Nashville and realizing that it was a lot cheaper to live in Nashville. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, the vibe, I just sort of fell in love with it. Um, and, and I just loved the community, the songwriting community. I felt kind of lonely in Chicago as far as like music communities concerned, because I wanted to write and I wanted to write every day with different people and I didn't have that community in, in uh, Chicago. So Chicago's a cool music town, but you don't have like labels on every corner and publishing houses and management. Like it's all like at your fingertips in Nashville and it's a small city. And so I sort of, I visited three summers ago and I was like, this is where I need to be right now. And so I moved three years ago and I moved all of Bronte Fall. Uh, my original band member, we sort of went our separate ways just because we wanted different things with our musical lives. She's sort of focusing on teaching and I am going full throttle ahead with Bronte Fall. So I find it so interesting, the the kind of oh shit moment that you described earlier. And, and so many artists that I talk to have had a similar thing where it's like either they were asked if they could play an instrument and they said yes, even though they couldn't and then figured it out or had to like pretend they knew what they were doing. And it sounded like you had that moment when you were asked to play without anything prepared. Oh my God. He's like, send in your bio and your pictures. And we didn't even have a band name. So we were like calling for photographers and like BSing our bio. And we drew 110 people to that first show, which the venue, the capacity is 150. So it felt pretty full. And it was, it was so awesome. It was really great. Did you have the music before you had the band name? Like, did you have songs written? We did. Okay. And, and uh, the Bronte Fall, like the Bronte Sisters, the inspiration that you were describing, was that already present in the music in terms of the dark aspects and the kind of interesting things that you found about that? Yes. And my band partner, she was like going through a divorce at the time. A lot of those early songs we were really writing about like her experience. And so we were making art out of, you know, her pain. <laughs> and it was collectively the first single I released, Catches Fire. It's about finding like what sets your soul on fire. And for us, it was music. And we had a very similar experience going to Berkeley and like being from the Midwest and being from families who, you know, you're supposed to be a doctor, a lawyer or a businessman. And we were going to music school and it was really powerful when we first got there. And it really set our soul on fire and set us free being in that community. We had very similar experiences at the time with when you released your debut album in 2015, was that produced and recorded in Nashville? That was in Chicago. It was in 2017. We started the band in 2015, released the album in, it was like two years to the day of our first show. That was really great. We got hooked up in Chicago just because I have lots of family and friends there. We recorded at Chicago Recording Company, CRC, and literally Chance the Rapper had just finished Coloring Book like a couple weeks before us. And he moved in to that recording studio for three months and 
like R. Kelly recorded I Believe I Can Fly There. Like, it's a really cool studio, but the catch was we were, we could use it whenever it wasn't being rented out and we got to use it for free because my friend's dad owned it. So we got to record at a really cool place. (laughs) Once it was out there, how did it feel to have a debut record out there? It's a huge statement, a big responsibility. How did it feel once it was out there? It, well, it was like you were fulfilling a dream, right? Like a childhood dream. I remember when the physical CDs came in the mail, I remember like picking it up and looking at it and being like, I did it. Like I did this. This is, those are moments that it makes everything worth it. You know, all the moving around, I Boston to Chicago, to living with my parents, to moving into my own place, to be back with my parents, to living in an Airbnb in Nashville for three months to, you know, but holding that CD, you're like, I freaking did this. I said I was going to do it and I did it. So I have chills talking about it. We're going to talk more about this upcoming record in one second. Yeah. Right after this break. So, Terry, I'm always curious about the role of place in this creative journey. It seems like musicians are really affected, as we all are, by being in different places. So you've been you were just mentioning before the break all the different places that you were. And now you're in Nashville and you've been in Nashville for a little while. How has that sense of place affected the way you write music and, and the way you look at music? Oh, my goodness. So such a good question. Well, moving to Nashville, it truly is Music City, and you're going out most nights of the week, and you're going to song writing rounds. It's like three writers up on a stage, and they switch off playing songs, and I'm so inspired when I even go to a round. Like, I'm writing ideas on my phone, in my notes. It's incredible just being in a place like that where there's everyone's writing all the time and there's so much creativity and it's so inspiring and it's motivating. Either I'm on stage and I'm so motivated to get as good as them. I just want to improve and get to that level or I'm so inspired to write a song. I I don't know. It, It just made a world of a difference for me. You feel validated to be creative and to live this creative life when you're around so many other people doing it. Like it's okay to go sit in a coffee shop and write out your song ideas. And yeah, it's just like more validating. You're not wasting your time or it's it's just crazy when you're in a community and yeah. It sounds a little bit like your experience getting to Berkeley. Yes. And feeling like you were around people you were supposed to be around at that time. Yes. Is it intimidating to go to these songwriting rounds you're talking about? I feel like it's taken me years to become comfortable with it. <laughs> like Sounds intimidating. It is. So, and there's like different levels, of course. When I first went at 24, I was awed by the city, but I was also so intimidated. And I thought like I could never be good enough. I would never get to this point. Like how could I ever get up and sing my song solo? And it's something I still struggle with. I love being in a band. And perhaps it's because I've always like played instruments and been part of a band, but not just me. And so that has been one thing that's been challenging. I do get nervous in these rounds because, you know, I'm playing them now and I just, I love making music with people. And that's probably why Bronte Fall is a band and it's not like the Terry Bracken show. I -hmm. like collaboration. But yes, it's taken years to get myself up on that stage playing by myself. But it also feels so rewarding. (laughs) I'm like, now I'm in Music City and I'm putting on shows and I'm playing these rounds. So it's quite the journey. It seems like Nashville is pretty collaborative. Is there a feeling of competition among musicians when you're at that level and kind of everyone's switching off playing songs? A little bit. When I do play these rounds, I am like playing the songs I know best and I can play best. Because I always say I'm going to like try out my new stuff. But then you get up there and everyone's like killing it. And I'm like, okay, no, I have to like play my best song possible. And speaking of teachers that are less technical, but more like philosophical and help your mental state. When I first visited Nashville and came back, I told my teacher how like it's intimidating. Everyone's better than me and I want to be just as good. And she's like, why don't you look at it as motivation and inspiration? And I mean, that is a hard thing to do, but obviously I do compare myself sometimes, but I really have like truly gotten to a point where I am more inspired and motivated than I am intimidated and 
competitive. I don't know. It It's a good place to be. That's great. Well, let's talk about the album that comes out on August 21st, Finishing School. I would love to hear how these songs came together um, and particularly like how your background as a classically trained musician has informed the way you write songs now. It's cool that we're talking sort of about the journey to Nashville. The last three years, these songs really were written as I experienced them and as I've gone through life. Like, I'm jealous that Taylor Swift wrote a whole album like in a month because my EP (laughs) was not that. I sort of, while I was like living and trying to figure out my new home and touring and being a musician, I was writing these songs. And so they definitely reflect what I've gone through six years, the last single I released is about going to Nashville and being super intimidated and then coming back six years later and being in the same place, but feeling so differently, just feeling stronger and more confident and ready and celebrating that. Um, White dress, I wrote, it's sort of the wedding season of my life. Everyone's getting married. And I sort of outlined what I've been doing the last five years since, you know, I started because Bronte Fall is now five years old this summer. And like, I've been working in a music venue and in Chicago, I was working in a music venue. And now I'm, you know, touring the beautiful Midwest and playing in little dive bars and, (laughs) you know, celebrating that. So with the classical music training, it is interesting. I'm very melodic. And I think that comes from playing the violin for 20 plus years, playing on a melodic instrument. For me, Songwriting is a lot about chords and the relationship between chords and how to tell a story that way. And I've I've learned that, but I would say my strong suit is my melody and my lyric writing. And then, okay, you have a song, you write the lyrics and you write the music, but then how do you hear this in a production? And I really fight to have strings in most of my productions. A song I wrote for my grandma, it is called Give You a Halo. It's just singing and then a beautiful cello. Because I wanted it to be sort of like, I wanted it to be like a box sonata, but it's just so beautiful. Yeah. So I like to hear, I want to hear it parts like in a symphony, whether it's a banjo playing it or, you know, an electric guitar, I want it to sound sort of like a symphony and I'm not an expert, but I sort of work with my producers to help sort of fill out that sound. There's six songs on the album and I feel like there's a pretty clear message throughout here. It's it's very intentionally kind of feminist and empowering in a lot of ways. Were there specific experiences that you have that have informed some of these songs, either in the music industry or in life? Because I feel like some of these are direct messages to people or institutions. Yeah, I know. That's funny. Well, yeah, there's a couple in particular, but six years is really, I wanted it to, you know, reach everybody, but you know, being a female in the music industry, I very often get this message that if you're like older than 23, like you're screwed, you're never going to make it. And record labels don't want to sign you if you're over 25. And that is intimidating. And that makes me sad. And because I feel like I'm only getting better as I get older. And so I really wanted to fight against that and celebrate age. Warrior is pretty, pretty straightforward. And I am inspired by the times. And for the record, We created Bronte Fall in 2015. Me Too sort of happened in 2017. But I was watching The Assassination of Gianni Versace, a show on Netflix. Mm, mm -hmm. And (laughs) in it, Gianni Versace, his sister, says, I believe for a woman, a dress is a weapon to get what she wants. And I mean, there's there's quite a few little themes that go into that song. But I am sort of directly talking about in the music industry. There's definitely a lot of um, like when I was 24 and living here. I was like set up with this producer, this manager, very successful just to talk about life and to talk about to talk about the music industry and to be a mentor and to help. And, you know, I met him at a Mexican restaurant and then he's like, why don't we go up to my room and talk? And, you know, that that was not okay. Like we were supposed Mm -hmm. to be on a business meeting and then he's trying to get me in bed with him. And so I've had experiences like that. And I I sort of like the medium of music and pop music, Americana music. So, you know, I'm talking about something that's like kind of serious, but I'm, it's kind of fun too, that it's through a pop song or Americana rock, whatever my genre is. Another thing is like, I like being a chick. I like being a woman. And, you know, that doesn't make me weak because I like to (laughs) wear lipstick and all those things and, you know, use it as your strength. And so that's sort of what I'm saying in that song 
My dress is a weapon. My heels are a sword. Lipstick and leather and red outer soles. Call it arsenal. I'm armed and ready. So I like to have fun with, you know, what's yeah. going on in the times. Yeah, it's a fun song, but I understand that it has like serious roots. And, and we've heard these stories before. I appreciate you sharing just because it's good for people to just know what it's like to be a woman in the music industry. And I've heard crazy stories like this, like that sound like they're from the 50s or something. Right. And it's funny that I'm talking about it so many years later, like eight years later, and like it happened and I didn't really talk about it. And then and now I'm not like, whatever. I, but I just think it's cool to put it into a song. How does it feel to have this album coming out in contrast to when the last album came out? Yeah, it's kind of cool. Like we're we're getting more honest and less edited and we're talking about harder things and Bronte Falls really coming into her own and she like really has a strong voice and she like knows what she wants to say now. And hopefully the music is getting better too. I just feel like I'm getting better as a musician and Where was it recorded and produced and how did that all come together? What was that process like? It was recorded at Trace Horse Studios in Berry Hill of Nashville and Basically, when I moved to Nashville, I have a friend, he's a fiddle friend. We were in the fiddle department at Berkeley, and he plays actually fiddle for Kane Brown, a country artist now, but he also plays guitar and he plays banjo, and he was a music director for another country artist, and it's so great to have an MD, a music director, just to help organize the band. I mean, he's part of the band, and he helps, you know, set up rehearsals and get, and, you know, if one, if our Drummer's not available. We get another one. But um, he sort of hooked me up. I started playing with his friends. And his friend Jake is a producer. And Jake really loves sort of like the indie pop scene, the indie scene in Nashville. And I kind of mm-hmm. loved that about him because Lars is a little more Americana, a little more smoky. And then Jake kind of loves the synth. And I just because I, I really like pop. I really like Americana rock and it was cool to like blend those two together and have them work together and have my input. Um, and they have friends who started this studio a couple of years ago, Trace Horse. And so it sort of all came together. It was really awesome. Were you doing most of the arranging? What was your role um, in that in that process? It's interesting. So they're like, how do you want this to sound? How do you hear it? And I speak really like I'm like very poetic when I talk about it. I'm like, oh, I want this to sound like shiny. I want this to sound this way. And I feel like Jake is really good at executing my words and they're not necessarily technical because I mean, I'm Mm. not, I grew up in an orchestra. I didn't, you know, grow up in a rock band. Like, I don't know what to tell the drums to do or what to tell the bass player. I know that like, I want this to sound this way. So it is a really cool relationship too, because like when we're mixing, I'll email him and I'll be like, I want this to sound a little, I want this to sound happier. And I, and like, I'm using like adjectives for people. And then he changes <laughs> it, but he totally understood what I was talking about. Congratulations on getting this album out there. And we're going to hear a few songs from you in a minute. But I want to ask about the future a little bit as this is past, present, future live. Where are you putting most of your creative energy now that this album is complete? So because we're in a global pandemic right now, I'm, it's sort of hard to plan shows right now. We are trying to do one show that is a drive-in show in Nashville, and that's probably cool. going to be in September or October. But I've really just sort of had to pivot, and I'm like already working on a new EP. So I have two songs recorded. I'm writing a lot. And it's it's kind of nice to be given permission to just write. This is the time to write and work on the next project. So that's sort of what I'm doing. Where is Bronte Fall? You said that she's sort of coming into her own. Where is she going next? What's the, what's like the next step in her journey? I feel like it's going to be very soulful. That's a good question. I feel like it took putting all these songs together to really reflect on like where Bronte Fall is now. Bronte Fall went through a breakup recently, so there's some songs about that, <laughs> but okay. it's going to be very soulful. Cool. That'll be really cool to hear. And what, what kind of music are you listening to? That's such a good question. I love like the Americana singer song. I love Jason Isbell, Rustin Kelly, Lake Street Dive. That's like sort of like the Americana side of things. But I do love a good pop writer like Taylor Swift. I'm sorry. I'm loving Folklore, her new album. Yeah. 
I I think she's a really good pop writer. It's amazing. You mentioned that that album earlier, but the the fact that it's totally different, but also has that kind of core of her music in it, but with with all these different influences and guests, it's it's a really cool record. What other kinds of collaborations? do you want to explore? I mean, it seems like Nashville is kind of a huge area of exploration in terms of genres and collaborators and projects. Do you have other stuff that you want to do beyond Bronte Fall? Apart from Bronte Fall, I do play the violin still. And I was playing weddings a lot. I think I'd love to play fiddle in a band. And that's also kind of on the list during a global pandemic to maybe get a gig on Broadway once that reopens. (laughs) But, um, I think for Bronte Fall with different musicians, like being in town, you sort of start to hear like different guitarists, like how they play guitar. And I have ideas of like certain people I want to play. Like I want his guitar playing or like I want her cello playing. So I think that's what's also been cool about Nashville is like, you know, certain people are just complete experts on their instrument and they're going to play it different. They're going to sing with it differently. And so that'll be fun. All right. I think we're going to ask you to play a couple songs here so people should stick around. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Yeah, this is so fun. Thank you. And now here's Terry Brecken performing Live in the Good, Grand Marnier, and Six Years. All right. This first song I'm going to play was off of my debut album, Silhouette Dances. And it was inspired by a Shel Silverstein quote. There are no happy endings. Endings are the saddest part. So give me a happy middle and a very happy start. This is Live in the Good.
Away. And that's actually the first song I ever learned on the guitar. The first song I ever wrote on guitar, which was fun. It's like randomly one of the hardest to play for my for me. Um, this next song I released in 2018 as a single. This is called Grand Marnier. out in two weeks or out August 21st um it's called six years and it's actually it was a single I released a couple weeks ago so you can find it on Spotify this is this is my uh anthem song celebrating aging and how awesome we get as we age this is six years Stay. 
Thanks for joining us. Past, Present, Future Live is hosted and produced by RJB. The executive producers are Adam Kaplan and Kirsten Cluthy. Production, editing, mixing, and original theme music by Brad Stratton. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. Please visit OsirisPod.com to find more content and deepen your connection to the music you love. <laughs>